Good morning. How are you? Good. Good to be here and good to be in God's presence. Thanks, Kate, for worship just with the, um, what do you call that? No, the, the, no, the organ. <laughs> oh, is this standing? Let's try and get it right. Okay, good. We're starting a new series um, today that will take us for the next couple of Sundays all the way to Easter. And it's on the book of um, John, the, the narrative around from when Jesus was in the garden to the time he was crucified and resurrected. And all the four Gospels have that. But we wanted to focus on the one in John's Gospel, so John 18, 19, 20, and 21. Well, we're not going to try and cover every single... I know, um, so it's not your passage, I mean, chapter by, I don't know, verse by verse kind of preaching, but we want to capture the essence of the story. So we've grouped them into interesting segments or episodes that we want to talk through. And, but we want to encourage everyone, those who are going to listen to this online or on YouTube, and everyone here, we want to encourage us to be reading ahead and, and just read um, the whole John, if you, if you haven't read the whole of John, but just the 18, 19, 20, 21. And just to be thinking about that as we look forward to Easter. We want to do that through the lens of these three words, power, influence, praise. Now, I'm not sure what the practice is. Are we allowed to say something or do we have to have... Um, so can, I, can I ask us to say these three words, power, influence, praise? Is that okay? Can we all say it together? One, two, go. We want to look at John 18, 19, 20, 21 through the lens of power, influence, praise. Now, if I may ask you, how many of you here see yourself as powerful? How many of you would go, I am powerful? I think because we, we carry the Spirit of God inside of us, we carry the power and the presence of God inside of us, there is a sense in which we can consider ourselves as powerful. But, but if you get into everyday conversations and everyday discussions, you don't go and tell someone you're talking to on an everyday, I am powerful, you know. <laughs> it sounds a little weird, doesn't it? But we do carry power in us, don't we? But it's not just that we carry power in us, it's that every interpersonal relationship, every society, every community, every friendship, every group of people together, these three words are always at play. Power, influence, praise. There's always a power dynamic going on in, in organizations. There's always a power dynamic going on in relations. There's always a power dynamic going on in, in, in society. If I think about it, whatever society considers praiseworthy, it's often what influence what society gives power to. Think about it. Whatever society, whoever society sees as powerful, often influence what we consider to be praiseworthy. Are you, are you with me? Are you, are you grappling with me? Whatever society sees as praiseworthy, it's what influence... Okay, so what do we, what do we celebrate in society today? Can, can you give me an example of what we celebrate in society today? We celebrate celebrities, and, and therefore there is influence that celebrities have, and therefore there is some level of power that they have. If a society or a church community or a group of people consider gossip to be praiseworthy, 
Imagine what will become influential and what will become powerful. Are you following with me? I like us to think about it because I'm trying to use new language to talk about the things that we all know to be true. But I think it's helpful for us to use fresh language to be able to see them with fresh eyes. Otherwise, the stories of the cross can become so um, familiar story and become something that is, loses its effect because it's become too familiar, isn't it? Familiarity brings contempt, as they say. So whatever society sees as powerful influences what's what they consider praiseworthy. Whatever we, people, you, individual, sees as praiseworthy determines what influences your life and what influences or what you give power to. Now we come to the book of John. I'm just going to read John 18, 1 to 14 quickly, and I'm going to try and capture the essence of what the power influence praise as it relates to this passage and the life of Jesus. So John chapter 18 from verse 1. When he has said these things, which means that he has just finished praying in John 17, just went with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. There was an orchard tree orchard there, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, the one who betrayed him, knew the place too, because Jesus had met there many times with his disciples. So Judas obtained a squad of soldiers and some of officers of the chief priests and Pharisees. They came to the orchard with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, because he knew everything that was going to happen to him, came and asked them, who are you looking for? They replied, Jesus the Nazarene, or Jesus of Nazareth. He told them, I am he. Now Jesus, the one who was to betray him, was standing there with them. So when Jesus said to them, I am he, they retreated and fell to the ground. Then Jesus asked again, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus replied, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, let this man go. His disciples now. He has said this to fulfill the word he had spoken. I have not lost a single one of those whom you've given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, pulled it out and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his ear. Now the slave's name was Marcus, but Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into your shade. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Then the squad of soldiers with the commanding officers and the officers of Jesus' Jewish leaders arrested Jesus, tied him up, they brought him to, first to Annas, who was the father, father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that, that year. And it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jewish leaders that it is to their advantage that one man die for many people. Father, bless your word. Give me clarity of speech and give us all understanding hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The, the, the whole of Scripture, even from the Old Testament, if you look at it, it's really about power and influence and what is praiseworthy. The, the battle between David and Goliath is not a battle just because the Goliath is big and David is small. It's not about that. It's really about whose God is more powerful, the God of the Philistines or the God of Israel. The entire, in fact, it's why you hear in the whole Testament, they, they, they use the word the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's army. They, they use it over and over again to to, to kind of typify that, that God, I, I like your prayer just then, you're talking about God is the epitome of greatness. When we think of greatness, we think of God because he's greater than greatness. Uh, he's greater than greatness. He's, he's greater than goodness, if there's anything like that. 
And so there is this sense in which power has always been there. For when John began to write in John's gospel, John the disciple that Jesus loved, began to write in John's gospel, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. In fact, the picture that John was painting all through John chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter 3, was show that Jesus is God, therefore all-powerful, therefore worthy of praise. Jesus is God, therefore all-powerful, therefore worthy of praise. For the whole statement, I am the good shepherd, I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. Everything that John was portraying to us is the fact that Jesus is all-powerful, he is God, and therefore worthy of praise. And then we got to John chapter 11, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth! And then Lazarus was from the If you have the power to raise someone from the dead, you also have the power to send them back to the dead. Yeah? If you have the power to bring them back to life, you have to send them back to where they come from. And that's a picture that John was kind of painted to us. But then he was painting all those pictures, but then it got to John 13. Jesus, this all-powerful, this greater than great, greater than magnificence, took off his garment, put it around himself, and washed the dirty, stinking feet of his disciples. Do you get the contrast? It's greater than great. He is all-powerful. But he stood so low to wash the feet of his disciples. Did you get the contrast? Let me say it again. This is Jesus now who just said, I am the light of the world. And these guys came to arrest him because we see the fullness of what John was trying to, the picture John was painting in chapter 13. We see that fullness of that picture in chapter 18 because they came to get him. They, they came with soldiers and lanterns and they were looking, almost like they were looking for a bandit in the, to, to, to kind of arrest him. And then Jesus says, Hi, I'm he who you're looking for. And they off. If you're looking for you, you don't reveal yourself. You keep hiding yourself, don't you? Isn't it? So he says, I am he. He was still controlling the terms of the arrests. He says, okay, let these guys go. You, you want me? Let these guys go. He was still controlling how the arrest is going to go. But then, what is so baffling is that he allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be what? Arrested. He is the Lord of hosts. He has uncountable angels that you could call on to wipe out these guys with their weapon that, you know, he could wipe them all out. But here is this God of heaven, this mighty I am, incarnate within us, who became like us, and then in that moment allowed himself to be arrested. He knew when to take on power, but he also knew when to lay down power. And that's what I'm getting to. Jesus knew when to step into power and operate in that power, but he also knew when to lay down. Are you with me? 
What did Jesus consider praiseworthy at the time? Because the most powerful thing that I think Jesus did, it's not that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, because Lazarus died again. It's not that Jesus fed the 5,000, because those people got hungry afterwards. It's not that Jesus healed the sick, because there were many people who were also sick. They didn't get healed. As, as powerful as those things were, it didn't seem to me that's the most powerful thing that Jesus did. The one simple powerful thing that Jesus did was this all-powerful God who surrendered and laid down power. I want you to think about that. It's the one powerful act that brought the entire creation back into relationship with God. That Jesus knew when to step into power and when to lay it down. That surrender, that humility, that being low is actually powerful. And in that act, he considered that praiseworthy. In fact, he said to to Peter, when Peter cut off the hair of the, of the servant, he says, won't I eat of, won't I drink of the cup that the Father has given me? For this is my purpose. That is a praiseworthy act. And that praiseworthy act had significant influence even many, many years after that and still has power even today. Isn't it? Praise God. I want to put it to you, friends, I want to put it to you that whatever we consider to be praiseworthy as a community, as a church, determine what influences us and our community and also determines what we give power to. So think about it. What do you consider praiseworthy as a person, personally, in your life? What do you consider to be praiseworthy? What do I consider to be a praiseworthy? I've taken time to do this. I was supposed to preach this a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't. So it's, it's, it's spent more time sort of prepping for me to actually be thinking about my own life and thinking, what do I really consider to be praiseworthy? It's, it's, what do you consider to be praiseworthy? Jesus considered the sense of sacrifice, sacrificial love to be praiseworthy. Do you consider the same thing to be praiseworthy? Because that's the power of the gospel. Amen. Why was Jesus able to do that? I want to put three, three, three propositions to you. Now, this is kind of, not kind of a talk that you listen to, and then you just go, okay, that's good. It's, it, I'm going to invite you, please take time during the week to actually just think about it. Please think about it, because it's going to take you more and more time to reflect on it for you to be able to apply it to your life and see how this actually influences your relationship, influences your relationship with your children. Do you want to stay in this place of, I, I am always in power? Or do you want to learn when it is for us to step into power, when it's for us to step out of power, when it's for us to invite other people into power? Because we are all in power dynamics anyway. Power itself is not necessarily a negative thing. It's how it's applied that is the issue in our culture. But if we start with what we consider praiseworthy, our relationship in a, in, with power, our relationship with influence, our relationship with all, all the narratives that are competing for dominance in our culture today takes a whole different turn. I could go on and on.
For what do you consider to be praiseworthy? I put three things to you. First is this. What you consider praiseworthy is an expression of you, and an outworking of your identity and your purpose. What you consider praiseworthy is an expression of your identity and your purpose. And for Jesus, we see that for this I have come. That bring people into relationship with God. We see that in the life of the apostles. Take a look at who Jesus considered praiseworthy and the people that Jesus praised. He didn't praise the high priest or the Pharisees or the root. No, he praised the people who were sometimes considered not worthy of praise. The second thing is that the, the greater we align in what we as a church or what the people consider to be praiseworthy, the greater we see the power of unity at work in our midst. I'll leave that to rest for a while. The the third one is this, which is where I want to get to today, because I think this is the kind of set this whole series up for us, is this, that ultimately, God is worthy of praise. The act of Jesus here is worthy of praise. God is worthy of all our praises. Do we know that, right? So everything that we consider to be praiseworthy must align with what God considers to be praiseworthy. Amen? Because when all we consider to be praiseworthy aligns with what God considers to be praiseworthy, then we can step into the power and the fullness of God at work in His people, either individually or as a group. So what do you consider to be praiseworthy? I like the way that Paul puts it for us. Can we go to that verse, please? Philippians 4, 8 and, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. So let me ask you, is sacrificial love praiseworthy? Yeah? Is humility praiseworthy? Are the fruit of the Spirit praiseworthy? Imagine if those things actually are giving enough influence in our life, imagine how much power we're going to be working on it. Because sometimes we have thinking, we've made power to be this force. But it's much, more, it's much more than force. Jesus showed us the fullness of it in sacrificial love. I want to invite us to think about that this week. What do you consider to be praiseworthy? Because it has a huge impact in everything else in our lives big impact. So what I want us to do as we close this today is we, we always praise God, and I, and I want to invite us to do something together. It's Psalm 150, because it captures there the essence of God's praise and this praise to God. And I want to invite you to, for us, all of us, to say it together. I don't, is, is, that, is that possible that we can all say it together? I'm not sure if we have to use a mask for that, but, but anyway. We can say it all together, and I want to make it look like a Jericho chorus, a kind of a Jericho shout. You know, the, on the seventh day, the children of Israel shout at the wall, and the wall fell down. They call it a warrior screaming. You don't scream at the wall to bring it down. 
It shows you how powerful God is. I want us all say it together, and I want to. I want to ask to go into this week, thinking about: Are there areas in my life in which praise to God is still not very present? That I need to turn to God in praise, not in thanksgiving, because it's good to give thanks, but in praise. But I want to encourage us to go into this week with a sense of praise, that God is praiseworthy. We're going to go into it the rest of all the, all the following week, but, but just for this week, God is praiseworthy. Not just because of what he's done, just for who he is, he is praiseworthy. So I want to invite us to all read together, more like a Jericho phrase, uh, uh, and just, it says, this is a psalm, it's a song. Can we all say it? I hope so. Okay, one, two, go. Amen. God is worthy of praise. Can we all say that together? God is worthy of praise. So as I finish today, I want us to just, as you're sitting down, just one phrase of praise to God. And I'd like you to distinguish it from just saying, Father, I thank you for what you've done for me. No, no, just lift up the praise to God. Because as we lift him up, he tabernacles in our midst. Amen. So let's just, let's just do that. As you close your eyes, just one line of praise, one line of praise, one line of praise, and then we have a music as, uh, as we close the music. Yeah. Let's do that. One to go. One line of praise. Anyone, anyone, just, just, just shout out the praise and, and then we'll hand up music.